you're listening to an episode of the Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life podcast with your host, Kim Oliver. This is Kim, and welcome to the 127th episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. If you like today's episode, be sure to leave me a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag me at Olver International. Today, I'm excited to continue the conversation on coaching with Natasha Mosby as my guest. She's a bright light to follow on Instagram, for sure. Natasha and I met one week when we were filming content for the Dear Live app and developed an immediate liking and respect for each other. I'm thrilled she agreed to join me for this episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. Natasha Mosby is a licensed clinical social worker in Nevada and the owner and founder of Health, Wellness, and Integrated Care. She specializes in mental health and integrated health care. Natasha provides outpatient clinical treatment in a private practice setting to clients presenting with depressive disorders, anxiety, trauma, and stress-related disorders, as well as children's mental health disorders. Mrs. Mosby is also the Integrated Health Care Program Coordinator and a lecturer at UNLV School of Social Work Department. She provides clinical supervision to clinical social work interns and serves as a mentor to first-generation college students. Mrs. Mosby has been in the mental health field for 20-plus years, working in mental health and community agencies, inpatient psychiatric hospitals, not-for-profit agencies, and private practice. She has served on advisory boards, planning committees, boards of directors, and provides clinical consultation and mental health trainings. Mrs. Mosby is a graduate of Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where she received her master's degree in social work. She received her bachelor's degree in sociology and an associate degree in criminal justice from Southern University A&M College in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. She's currently working towards her PhD in health psychology. Thank you so much for joining us for this important conversation on self-care. Thank you for having me so much, Kim. That was a warm introduction. (laughs) Thank you. I can't imagine talking about you any other way. I know that you speak a lot on self-care. I know that you recently did this fabulous conference in Las Vegas for men talking about men's health. Can you define for us what you mean when you talk about self-care? Okay. When I talk about self-care, let's just look at it from a personal standpoint. And I do like my clients to define that for themselves once I do some framework around it. I say self-care for me is an opportunity where I am able to disconnect from the day-to-day stress of being a mom, from being a wife, from being a provider, from being an instructor. It's an opportunity to just kind of reconnect back with Tasha, right? It brings peace for me. It brings calmness. Self-care for me also involves isolation. I spend a lot of time with individuals and humans. I love that. But for me, self-care is a moment to just kind of detach from all those roles and just reconnect with myself. I talk a lot about self-care with clients and define it in terms of, well, that's maintenance for me. I have folks that Tasha, I love massages. And I say, well, that's maybe self-care for you, but that's maintenance for me because it's not a detachment from humans and, and a moment to reconnect with myself. The term self-care can mean a lot of things for different people. So I do ask, when do you find time to disconnect from what you may identify as being stressful or wearing multiple hats just to reconnect with yourself? 
in sessions with clients, I have them write their own definition and say self-care looks like, it feels like, sometimes they say it tastes like. I have them tap into their senses about what does that mean to have self-care. Self-care for me is gelato. <laughs> it tastes <laughs> like <laughs> Well, if that's true, self-care for me would be dark chocolate, but I don't know that that really would qualify, although I do hear it does have some health benefits. <laughs> yes, depending on how much you consume. I don't think mine would have health benefits if I had to say that chocolate was my <laughs> choice. We think about the physical part of self-care, but also self-care can be emotional. Setting boundaries, being able to say no, that, that can be self-care. So finding a working definition for yourself because one doesn't fit everyone. That's something I do do with every one of my clients. Let's talk about what it looks like for you. And for many, be honest, Kim, we spent a few sessions defining it. The idea that everybody's version of self-care is different is really important because I would imagine a person who lives alone would have different self-care than the mother of six children who's working full time and trying to care for her kids, or maybe she's home working with kids and doing homeschooling or whatever it might be. Self-care would look very different. Yes. Um, she would need probably more social, emotional type wellness than the person that's the opposite. So I try to let them know it's, it's no one fit definition for self-care. It's individualized. Yeah, I love that point. And I think it's right on the money. Mm -hmm. Another thing I've heard you talk about are those five dimensions of wellness. Do they fit into this self-care idea and the fact that some areas might be more deficit for some than others? Absolutely. My practice is framed around the eight dimensions of wellness. And I actually have a basket over there full of little worksheets. And when they come in and do their assessment, they fill it out. And they score themselves based on their emotional, their physical, their spiritual, financial, social, all those different aspects of ourselves. We hear the term mental health a lot. We all have mental health and physical health. But in between those two very mental, physical, those all these other things that contribute to those things. And it could be our emotional health that contributes to how well we take care of our mental health and our financial health, how it contributes to our overall mental health. I have them score themselves and I haven't had a client yet that says, wow, I don't want to do this. They're more intrigued about, wow, how has my lack of taking care of myself spiritually and grounding or prayer and meditation how does that affect me overall? So they score themselves on these eight dimensions. It's 40 points per dimension. And they just look at, okay, where am I scoring exceptionally well? They're identifying if scoring well based on that worksheet. And where do I want to tap into and pour more into myself? Based on the clients I've seen, it's around the issue of self-care, that emotional work, social, right? So if you spend a lot of time in isolation, live by yourself, I see widows, the emptiness, maybe grandparents or missing those grandchildren and vice versa, they want to have more social wellness. They want to interact. They want to get out and see their peers and do things like that. So I have them take that survey, that exam, exam, that tool, and then they assess and say, where do I want to start my wellness journey? And I'm guessing that you don't advise people to try to work in all their areas all at once. No, no that's overwhelming. <laughs> so I, try, I have them take the eight and I say, where do you want to start? Let's pick one. Let's maybe two. Sometimes clients do want to tackle all eight. And I said, okay, how do we fit this stuff in? So if we're going to work on some of these activities that we identify we want to work on, let's not overwhelm ourselves with it. So if we take emotional wellness, where do we want to start? What type of skills do we want to build into that? And some of this around self-regulation is about setting boundaries, delegating tasks. <laughs> some of that can be self-care and saying, you know what? I can put this Monday's to-do list off to Tuesday, right? right? So we really try to look at the dimension that is scoring lower 
And it's usually the dimension that they're coming in for therapy for. You look at the, it's the overall depression, but what is in that wellness wheel that I say that needs air in the tire? Which dimension do we need to put some air in the tire first? Do you find that people usually, I never know with my clients whether it's best to start them with a quick win, so something that might be easy for them, or is it better to go in the area where they're struggling the most so they can get some relief there? How do you look at that? It depends. It really, really does. I have, for my major depressive disorder that's been diagnosed with major depressive disorder, we look at quick wins because they feel so low already. And I'm like, I need to help them identify places they can kind of up that serotonin dopamine in that body where they feel like, okay, I can do this. I know I can probably conquer the next task. For individuals that's been diagnosed maybe anxiety, we look at some relief first, right? We need to look, okay, how do I even get to a point to even want to do this task? I'm so anxious. I can't even look for a quick win right now. Mm -hmm. Help me here. So it just depends on the individual and how they're presenting. How important would you think a person's self-awareness is as they're going through this wellness journey? I know it starts with the assessment tool that you Mm -hmm. talked about, but I imagine self-awareness is something that grows as the journey progresses. So how do they coincide, do you think? It's very important. For me, that tool that I give them as part of their assessment piece, It's about them having some self-awareness about where they are and really being honest about, and I tell them, I said, this is a place I want you to be your authentic self. There is no judgment. There is, we're all on this wheel together. Some of us are doing exceptionally well, and some of us need some more air in our tire. So I help them conceptualize, what does that mean when I am on this side of my wellness and not doing well? What does that look like for me? Who's contributing to those things? A part of it is also environmental wellness. What's happening in our environment that may be contributing to our overall wellness, either helping or draining. So hearing their voices first. I do a lot of them just speaking with me about, okay, where did that come from? And when did you first notice that? A lot of time I have probably said a sentence in therapy and it was like, oh my God, that was the best session I've ever had. And I've said to them, well, I think you're becoming more aware of yourself and your needs and talking out loud about getting that stuff from here, out here and talking about talking out loud about the things we're suppressing, if that Mm. makes sense. It's their journey. And I do sometimes stop them and say, okay, let's let's go back there. Because I saw a light come on, but they shut it off because that was too much to cope with right in that moment. <laughs> so I'm like, let's go back into that room, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever that emotional room was. You like so to poke around in there. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> so like, it's key. And I do let them know this is a journey, right? We have, we're going to have our aha moments in therapy. We may have our aha moment driving, right? To our favorite restaurant, something may trigger it's key to change. I have to be aware of what's happening with me so I can now make these conscious thoughts and choices to make a change about my next step. So that's important. I think it really is important. And would you say that the majority of your clients are male or female or something in between? In between. And this is interesting since I did the men's conference, I have more men reaching out <laughs> to men. I'm like, I am not an expert on men's health. However, I appreciate that. I do appreciate the mix. I think right now we're probably about 60% female, which before that was, of course, like 80, 90, but now about 60% female, families included, and males that are coming in. And it's interesting because the men come in with a standoff. It's like, well, I'm here to kind of see what therapy is about. <laughs> What do you think therapy is? What's your your take on it? What do you think that looks like? And so kind of normalizing this therapeutic experience for both male, female, families, children. My seniors, I have a a population of seniors I work with and just helping them wrap their mind around, why am I here? It doesn't have to be rooted in pain. 
we think sometimes therapy is rooted in pain. Therapy can also be rooted in, I just want a better sense of self, who mm-hmm. I am. Improve myself, and I want to continue on this trajectory of improvement. I have clients I see for maintenance, like once a month. It's like a checkup. They say, "Hey, Tasha, it's been a couple of weeks. I want to get in and just check in." That's maybe they're only forty-five minutes to an hour. That can be their self-care. <laughs> that they want to just check in and see how they're doing and hear a different voice to help them open up some doors and think about those things. Right. So I want to check out some stereotypes. They may be stereotypes that I have. I want to see if they're rooted in any kind of truth. And it is about men and women. First of all, I know that there are always exceptions to these stereotypes. So I'm not in any way making any broad generalized statements. But I'm wondering if one of the obstacles for women is their nurturing side and how they're so focused on how they care for others that they run out of time to care for themselves. And then on the other end for men, if it's something about if they're going to be, quote, strong men, that they shouldn't be asking for help help, they should be able to do it on their own. So coming to you looking for some assistance in that may bring up some feelings of weakness or vulnerability for them and cause them to maybe not fully walk through that door. Uh, Do you find those things are true? And if so, how do you work with those obstacles? I do. And like I said, there's exceptions to those rules, but I do find those things to be true. And if we think about our upbringing, right, as children, I remember my brother, I have three, two brothers and my first brother, we're a year apart, a year and a half apart. When I failed or something happened that was nurturing, that was this, you're okay, it's okay. And you know, all that good girly stuff, right? But also to being the oldest I was also very groomed in the sense to take care of your brothers, make sure they're good. And I don't think there was no harm in that, but I think it was always taught them from the South that women, you take care of things, the home, you do all these things. Very seldom did I see women in my family modeling, taking care of themselves. I saw them take care of others from the family, from church family, from the community. I didn't see that. And so I kind of look at my life trajectory and I'm like, oh, (laughs) that's been my path. Mm -hmm. So I do see that in women, we get caught up in that caretaker role. For men, the messages look very different. It was, you're strong, you got this, get up, why are you crying? Showing this emotional side may look like weakness. So when I do have men come in, I explore our childhood. I explore the messages we got around being a man, the messages we got around being a, a female or a woman, or whatever that looked like. I'm not saying that any of those messages was bad or negative, but how did it shape our ideas of how we care for ourselves and how do we see ourselves in the world around us? That's that uh-huh type stuff that we start to do. I see that. I see women will come in and I can ask a few questions and it's like, they're ready to share because we've been trained to share what's happening. How do you feel? We find that men are a little more reserved. And I don't see that as being negative or guarded. It's about, oof, I haven't tapped into that side of me yet where I feel free to talk about these emotions, these feelings without getting this message that I'm weak, that I can't deal, that I can't take care. I really try to normalize that we all have emotional health. We all have mental health in this space. And so we're ready to kind of have those conversations out there. Let's start it here in this space. Talk to me about what that felt like waiting for this to happen or not, or having an expectation or not being nurtured or seeing your sister's nurtured. I declined and um, he, he's no, I share this. I've shared this before. And he gave me permission. He's a boy of seven girls. Mm. And he said, Tasha, I never got permission to cry like my sister's. He said, I never had that. (laughs) He's the oldest of seven girls on top of that. 
that message he received as a father, he struggles with that. He struggles with in his marriage. And so those are some of the things they're in in treatment for. And again, they've given permission to share this because he said, Tasha, it is real. He said, if I could tell any man to come to therapy, he said, I would be right there shouting, get to therapy, talk about some of that stuff that got suppressed and not nurtured and get that stuff out because it can affect your relationships. Yeah, it's so interesting because you're right. We were taught to take care of our brothers and sisters and our Mm -hmm. brothers were taught to protect us, protect us. us. Yeah, not, you know, it was a different kind of taking care of. We were the nurturing caregivers and they were the strong, protective Mm -hmm. caregivers. It's fascinating. And their roles that society taught, not necessarily what we were meant to be doing. Questioning those is probably a really great place to start. Is this who you really are? Is this what you really believe? Is this who you want to be? What happened if you were to do that, right? Yeah. And our partners have to also support us in that change of discovery, <laughs> right? And who we are. I don't see couples as much as I used to, but that was a change too, because now we're figuring out who we are and how do couples support each other in this journey of wellness? Because it is a support. You know, we have to support one another. I would say, how do they support each other or not? Because sometimes they won't. And that bleeds into my next question. Other than what we already talked about, what do you see are some of the obstacles to prioritizing self-care for people? Just a few, Kim. Things get in the way. (laughs) I remember before having children, I had this list of, I'm going to make sure I'm going to continue to do this with my life and I'm going to do this. Got married, had kids. And I remember sitting one day and I was like, what have I really sat in a tub and took a relaxing bath, right? Without <laughs> nursing and going without out. Children and, without children in the water Without children with their fingers <laughs> underneath the door, right? Like, Mommy, how long are you going to take? And I'm like, this is not relaxing for me. So I had to, over time, redefine what relaxation looked like because now it's no longer a bubble bath. But life gets in the way and uh, we get in the way. I would say that we get in the way because sometimes we send these messages that we're not deserving of rest. I don't know why we do that to ourselves that we need to be moving and productive all the time. That is so not healthy. I'm going to say that. It is not healthy. I equate it to a car. Eventually, we have to cut that car off and let it rest and sit and take some time and get back in it, do the maintenance. We can't go 100 miles an hour every day, and we do that to ourselves. It's this hustle and bustle, thrive, you know, grind mentality that we have. And whether we were taught that or we went without and we didn't have those needs met. So we want to make sure I'm never in that place again, right? All those messages that we get. And also the modeling. How often did we see folks around us taking time to self-care? And what did that look like? And what messages did it send? I remember when I was younger, I remember my cousin being called lazy because she said, you know, after this baby, I'm going to take some time off work to take care of myself. And it was like, oh, that's lazy. You young girls don't know how to work now and take care of children. I'm like, Ooh. right there, I got a message. Well, I have my kids. I have to make sure I get back to work because that's what you're supposed to do. It's undoing some of that stuff, right? It's undoing those messages and say, they didn't work for me. I need to redefine what is it like to take care of myself where I'm not burning myself out. And that takes work. That might be something that is unique to our American culture. Yes, (laughs) it's culture. I was in Italy and I'm like, God, I feel like my soul belongs there every place I leave the country. But we were asking for our check and they were telling us to relax, stop rushing for the check. Oh, yeah. Italy, a meal is an event. Yes. I said, this is why Julia Roberts spent four months at my favorite movie is Eat, Pray, Love. I'm like, this Mm. is why she spent four months in Italy teaching herself to calm down and just be present in the moment. So we were eating. I was like, check. And they're like, mm. they just ignored us. And I was like, 
I said, Tony, I don't think it's custom to just rush up after you eat. You're supposed to sit and enjoy and fellowship. And that was the sense of it. And I said, okay, we're doing this all wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Or at least differently, that's for sure. But in the hustle bustle of a capitalist culture, if you take time to rest, you get behind. But if you keep pushing and you get in the hospital, you also get behind. I can't tell you how stressful it was for me just to cut off my... I take time off, but this was the first time I'd be 45 in November. This is the first time ever working. I've been working since I was 17 that I took this much time off. Mm. Even my maternity leave, I still worked on my maternity leave. I still was nursing and checking emails. For the first time, I actually cut my email on the way. Did not check emails. I really tried not to. So when I know I didn't. And said, I'm going to wait till I return on August 8th to respond I had anxiety the first couple of weeks, but I said, I have to retrain my mind and body to say, you're away. Take this time. Would you be behind? Possibly. But what's the trade-off here? It felt great. <laughs> I'm so happy that you had that time. And I hope that you learn to do it more often. I'm going to do that more often. Especially since this is once in 45 years. Let's see if you could do it every year. <laughs> Just that fear of being behind. Fear of, I'm going to come back to 100 emails. I'm going to get that anyway. <laughs> So rather I check them right away or in three weeks, it's going to happen. Right. You don't need to know about them ahead of time and cause all that anticipatory anxiety. Just Absolutely. let them hit you when you get back and you're working again. And then you do one at a time, which is the only way you could do it. Only way. One foot in front of the other. I love that. When you work with your clients, how do you help them to prioritize self-care? Hmm. So a few things. That assessment tool that we do with eight dimensions, that one is important. I do ask about support because one thing I'm very mindful of, I have to slow myself down and be mindful of my own privilege. I have the privilege to say, because I have a husband at home to say, hey, I'm going to take off, right? So I talk about support. Who's around to help support you in this journey to implement more self-care into your life, especially when I'm dealing with parents? It can be mom, dad, believe it or not, dad, too, need to practice self-care. They have a hard time managing that. So I ask them about support because in that, you need people around you to say, hey, you know what? I know you're in therapy. I heard you say your therapist said to implement a day or an hour. I want to hold you to that. I make that a part of their treatment plan. And I have them identify someone that they're okay with saying, I want you to hold me accountable because this is my homework assignment. I have to get in an hour a week. And that's little, an hour a week of just tapping out. We look at that first because I want them to have support outside of here. I do ask, where do they find joy? Because I want to know, I want you to tap more into your joy. I've had parents and caretakers. I have one young lady said, Tasha, I find joy just sitting outside on a bench and just being in nature. I said, okay, would you like to start there? Would you want more joyful moments like that? How often are you getting that? And she says, I probably get it every couple of months. And I'm like, ooh, where she's able to detach it from stay-at-home mom, seven children, husband's very supportive, but he works. So I said, well, can husband support you that? And he looked over and he goes, I want her to do that more. This idea that she wasn't deserving of that because she did not work. Sometimes too, have talking out loud about this. And he looked at her, he goes, honey, and he's so amazing. He says, if you took an hour a day and just disconnect, he said, it feels different when I'm home with you. So it benefited him, right? Exactly. And the kids. Right. She is now doing an hour a day. She gets up, she goes for her daily run. And to help her, he says, what do you need help with? Can I hire someone for you? It's that message too. I have to do it all. He said, I'm going to tap into my privilege, Tasha. I want to give her some help. That doesn't mean you're less than a mom if you take help. That means that you're thinking about yourself and you want to be more available to do the things that you enjoy doing. 
I look at them first and say, where do you need that help? Who's supporting you? If the support is minimal and we don't have that, if we have older siblings, say, well, is there an older sibling that can pitch in a little bit? Not put too much on them, but where can they help you as well? Where can we delegate responsibilities? <laughs> if I have a seven-year-old, guess what? It's okay to teach my seven-year-old how to fold clothes and put her his or her clothes away. I don't have to always be present and feel worn out doing that. So just redefining what life's look like just a little bit. Not enough to scare them, but just enough for them to step away and take a breather, even if it's a cup of coffee. We try to do everything sometimes ourselves, and it can wear us out. The resources we have around us, and kids will tell you. Taylor told me she hated my cookies. She goes, Mom, I never told you this, but I, I don't care for your Christmas cookies much. And I'm thinking every year I have to make these cookies. She goes, I just like to see you happy when you make them. I was like, that's what you enjoy? She goes, yeah, I don't care for the cookies. I just like being with you in the kitchen when you bake. Okay, well, let's redo this. So it was the time that she yeah. had with me, not those yeah. cookies I was yeah. stressed about. I forgot the flower for one year. <laughs> <laughs> I want to give you the chance, Tasha, if there's anything you'd like to add that we haven't already talked about. Mm. We tapped on the self-awareness. We did that. Allowing people to come in. And when I say come in, you know, we, we share a lot about checking in on your strong friends, but we also need our strong friends to tap in with us too. Not to think that people don't care. Just, you know, we get busy in our lives, we do. But to be able to say, hey, I need to talk to someone. I haven't had a client yet that gained the courage to reach out, to ask to speak to someone, whether it's a professional counselor or someone close within their family network that got their thoughts was got minimized. They were like, hey, what's, what's going on with you? So giving yourself permission to say, I'm not okay, which is okay. <laughs> I need some help in these areas. Can you help me? Simple as that. Right. Yeah. And they might say no. And then you ask someone else if they say yes, it's a win for you and for them because they get to help you. Yes. And people like help me. Right. So giving yourself permission to have a human experience without beating yourself up and know that we all need a little help on this journey. I will say that. Beautiful. Do you have anything coming up that you'd like to tell our audience about? Well, I do this event here monthly. We took a two-month break because we were working on other things, but it's Leave It on the Mat. So I host myself and a certified yoga instructor. We host a yoga and mental health workshop once a month, and it is open to the public, and we love it. So it's an opportunity to kind of talk about some of our physical health, and I do a mental health piece to it, and once a month, I build a theme around it. For instance, April was about stress management. It is Stress Management Month. We talked about stress and how it affects our gut health. May was Mental Health Month, of course. So we just talked about mental health in general and wellness. June, we took off because that was my men's conference. But I'm also excited from that. We had a proclamation. The Health and Wellness got a proclamation from the city of Las Vegas. So we're going to be hosting along with some of the partners of mine this event, the men's conference every June in Las Vegas. And just focusing on men's health because it is Men's Health Awareness Month. A lot of folks didn't know that. So just bringing some awareness to men's health and some of those health risks. Are they have a lot of health risk and someone that is tied to our wellness and how we're taking care of our emotional and our mental health. So I'm excited about that yearly activity. And from that came a beautiful founding a, a future relationship with Texas that I'm looking into is going out and helping the mayor there and little M, the smaller version of our wellness conference here, offering it for the community in his town. I'm so excited about just this whole community wellness. I believe that, you know, it takes a village. <laughs> That's my thing for everything. It takes a village. If we could have a healthy community where we live, that speaks a lot for our overall wellness too. Definitely. So if people want to reach you, how could they reach you for further information? They, I have my website there. 
they can reach me there. I do have a place they can sign up if they just have questions. I do offer 15 minutes free consultation, but it's mostly on just not confirming your diagnosis, but just a quick little, I have a question about this and where can I access that resource? So more resource-based and just getting some quick little self-care tips. So I do offer that 15 minutes for free. I do offer therapy services. So that's all on my website where they can sign up to just make their self-appointment. So my website and also Instagram, they can reach me to for, for scheduling or just for conferences and speaking and all those things. Okay. I'll put that in the show notes. Excellent. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. I really appreciate you joining us today, Tasha. I know how busy you are, so I can't thank you enough (laughs) for this time. It's been wonderful to speak with you again and to share you with my audience. Thank Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and remember to leave a review and share with your connections on social media. I also hope you'll join me next week when I'll be continuing the topic on coaching with my friend and colleague, Amir Havlin-Najad from Iran. I'm looking forward to it. Talk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at lifeequalschoices.com or listen wherever you download your podcast. And don't forget, remember to subscribe.